on in First Peter this morning, and we said uh, in this section of Peter's letter, he's kind of building everything out of this idea of the fact that we are sojourners and exiles. All right, and we understand as Christians in this world, when we're sojourners and exiles, that affects all kinds of relationships. It affects our relationship with a government. We're going to see here that it affects relationships between servants and masters. We're going to see next week it affects our marriage relationships. Uh, And we'll see this morning um, that we're given some instructions that are actually humanly impossible to follow. But we'll also see that these instructions sit at the very center of all of our Christian conduct. And so let's read what Peter says here, and then we'll pray, and then we'll dive in. So we're at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Here now God's word. It says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps." He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed." For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of, overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me, friends. Mighty and merciful Father, we pray that by your Spirit you would open our eyes and give us ears to hear. We pray that you would help us to see Jesus, that you would speak wisdom to our souls for living faithfully here in northern Virginia. We do wish to see Jesus this morning, Father, and we remember what it says here in 1 Peter, that uh, the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word, it lasts forever. Amen. We've said this before, but one of the reasons as a church, it's our practice to kind of go through complete books of the Bible, to preach our way from the beginning of a book like 1 Peter all the way to the end is because... um, if we were just to kind of pick and choose the verses we wanted to preach from, um, often we would avoid verses like this one, passages like this one. Like if we just kind of pick, uh, were to pick and choose the passages, um, we would probably pick and choose those that are uh, most comforting or easy or kind of like the chicken soup for the soul kind of passages. And we would definitely probably skip over passages like this or the one from last week or the one for next week. Actually, this whole section, we would just act like it didn't exist. Um, but we believe all 66 books of this Bible are inspired by God and they help us when it comes to how are we to live our life 
And how are we to live out our faith? And so that's why we faithfully march through even the confusing, awkward, uncomfortable passages like this. So when we turn to this passage right now, we're going to look at it through three lenses, right? We're going to look at what is the reality, if you want points, if you're you know, taking notes, you want to outline. Uh, the reality, the response, and the reason. The reality, the response of the reason. Uh, the reality. Right? The reality is a passage like this might make us uncomfortable, probably does make us uncomfortable. It's talking about masters and servants. So let's talk about the reality of slavery. All right, The reality of slavery in the Bible, the reality of slavery in Christianity, the reality of slavery in the ancient world, and slavery in our country. If you've been with us as a church, you know about six months ago, we were actually going through this topic uh, as we went through the book of Ephesians because Paul speaks to servants there in the book of Ephesians. So we spoke, spoke about it in depth there. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon. It's on our website, July 18th, Ephesians 5, 6 through 9, if you're looking for it. I'm going to not speak to it as broadly as I did then. I'm going to be a little bit more concise, but I still want to hit some of the high points here. Things, things that it's helpful for us to know when we talk about the reality of slavery in the ancient world. One, it's very unhelpful to think of slavery in the ancient world as anything like slavery in our country. All right, It was completely different. It was not defined by race or ethnicity in any kind of way. It actually wasn't defined by class. You found slaves or servants all throughout the social strata of the ancient world. All right, you could buy your way out of slavery in the ancient world. Two-thirds of the Roman world probably would have fit under the category of slavery. All right, so it's unhelpful if you think slavery and the Bible uh, as slavery in the history of our country. We should be clear, though, in the ancient world, slavery was often cruel. Treatment was often inhumane, so we don't want to brush over that. Slavery in the Bible, um, if you look throughout these 66 books, you'll find both in the Old and the New Testament that slavery is never endorsed or condoned. All right, in fact, it's called a sin in the Old and in the New Testament. Uh, Man-stealing or people-owning or slavery, uh, all of those things are called sin in the Bible. Here's the challenge. Even in the history of our country, we know that there are Christians and churches that spoke in favor of slavery, that endorsed it, right? Actually, uh, I spoke about it last time when we talked about this uh, in the summer. Um, groups of slave traders actually produced a Bible they called the Slave Bible. But so incompatible is the Bible with slavery that um, they had to slightly abridge uh, the slave Bible, right? This has 66 uh, books. Uh, the, the slave Bible only included portions of 14 books, right? That should so show us something of how incompatible this book is with the notion of slavery. And we've mentioned, unfortunately, to our shame, the complicity of churches and Christian throughout history. But also we should acknowledge that there are Christians as well, and I said it in the summer, Christians who were instrumental in bringing about the end of slavery, right? I named my youngest son, William, after William Wilberforce. And there's many other Christians that played a role in fighting against slavery and bringing the end of it. So every time we speak on passages like this, we want to take the time to clarify about the reality of slavery if you have more questions, we understand. Please talk to me after this service. 
please feel free to email Joe Palakis. All right, whatever you need to do, we're, we're available. Uh, we're happy to talk to you. Um, so that is the reality. A couple of other thoughts on reality. Another reality is that often this dynamic of master and slave it's really not a part of our modern lives, your modern lives. You're thinking, okay, well, how does this apply to me? Uh, I go throughout my weekly context and I don't have this master-slave dynamic. That, that, that's true, but we need to be aware uh, this dynamic didn't just exist in the ancient world. It exists in the modern world as well, all right? I mean, if, if you read the first verse of our passage, therefore, let's look at it again. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust, right? We're realizing the people that Peter are talking to, they're these new Christians in the ancient Near East. They're at the whim of their masters. Maybe their masters don't think kindly of their newfound religion, and so they suffer even more. But they are there in forced labor, uncomfortable conditions. And let's just be aware, that exists in many places in the world today. Right? That, that wasn't an ancient thing. It's a very much a modern thing. And many of our Christian brothers and sisters exist in that kind of reality. I think of the kafala system, K-A-F-A-L-A system. If you spent time in the Middle East, you might be aware of this. But that's forced labor. They are often migrant labor where they come there, their passports are taken. They really have no way to leave the country or advocate for their rights. There are millions of people today that operate under that reality. And these words of Peter would have been directly applicable. For us in Northern and Virginia, Northern Virginia, Fairfax, how are we to think about this? You, you don't have uh, a master. You are probably not a servant. But I do think there are principles that we can apply to our workplace, to our schools, to our teams. Loud and clear, we cannot equate slavery in the first century or any century to the workplace in the 21st century. I'm, I'm not making, you know, this is not equals, all right? But we are saying that we can learn some principles from that, all right? Because in reality, I would imagine most of the adults in this room are, uh, have to submit to some kind of authority, all right? When you go to work, you have an authority over you. Most of the kids in this room, and again, kids, sorry to make you come to school on a sixth day, all right? I feel your pain. But you, uh, you have an authority over you, a principal, a teacher, a coach. All of us exist under some type of authority and all of us, or many of us, are probably an authority over someone else. So when we think about the principles from Peter here, I want us to have that kind of lens, that kind of context. Because probably if I had to sit down and chat with you over coffee, some of you might say, yeah, Rob, let me tell you about my boss. Yeah, let me tell you how unjust they are. Let me tell you about how miserable they make my life and the life of everyone around me. Some of us know full well unjust, unfair bosses. Even think about some of the ways we talk about our jobs. Like, I'm, I'm trapped in my job, right? I can't retire, I can't quit. I am a slave to my desk, Right? There are these realities where there is uncomfortable, unjust, unfair realities in our workplaces. And so as we make our way through that, that's the reality we need to be mindful of. All right. For what it's worth, it's also interesting to note that Peter talks to these servants in the church. Right? That would have been very countercultural for the first century. Right? Uh, 
You read Aristotle, he doesn't even acknowledge the humanity of servants and slaves. All right? They are just, he speaks of them as tools. But here Peter writes to them, acknowledges their presence in the church. And so that was very, he gives them a dignity by being seen and heard. And so that's something for us to consider. That's the reality. So how are we to respond? How are we to, how are we to deal with these unjust authorities in our life? Two commands, all right? Peter gives two commands to the church there. Uh, he doesn't give them suggestions or things to consider. Two commands. He says, uh, under unjust authority, you should stay with respect and you should endure with grace. Stay with respect and endure with grace. Um, verse 18, um, when that word says submit there, it literally means to arrange yourself under. That is to actively, intentionally, and willfully arrange yourself under the authority of someone else. Not, not with a grumbling heart, right? Not with gossiping lips. Um, you're to respectfully arrange yourself under someone's authority, even someone's authority that is unjust or unfair. You, you are to do that with all respect. You got to imagine that's incredibly here to, to hear in the incredibly difficult to hear in the original context. But even in our day and age, when we hear that and we think about our bosses or our teachers or our coaches, it's hard to think that we are to, to submit with all respect, right? Because I think one reason it's difficult, it runs against this notion that if I'm in my job and it's not my ultimate happy place, God's probably calling me to go somewhere else, right? Like that's kind of what we think. Like my job, my, my, my career is designed to be my ultimate happy place. And if it's not that, that might be God telling me to go somewhere else. And Peter's saying, no, that might not be the case at all. Actually, God might have you there for a reason and you're called to be a witness in that situation by showing respect that doesn't make sense to the world. There are all kinds of good reasons why you might be in your job in the federal government or in small business uh, that aren't centered upon your happiness, right? Maybe you're in your job under a supervisor that is completely inept and unfair because you're helping deliver services that are so valuable to your clients, to those that you're serving. He's got you there to protect your clients and, and, and provide in ways that only you can and your gifts can. Maybe that's the good reason he has you there. Maybe he has you there because you're acting as a shield. You're a middle manager. You're acting as a shield between upper management and those below you, right? You're like the, the heat shield on the Apollo 13, right, that takes all that heat. Uh, if you weren't there, that heat would go to those below you, and you're helping protect your, uh, those underneath you and your authority. There's all kinds of reasons, good reasons, why you might be under authority that is difficult. Maybe you're just young in your career and you're paying your dues overworked and underappreciated, but God's using this season and he's going to position you sooner than later to another opportunity for you to use your gifts. So unfair, um, inept leadership, unjust leadership, it doesn't always mean bounce and get out of there. Peter says, actually, no, it could mean stay. I will say this, though. It doesn't always mean stay, all right? 
we don't have hours. I mean, I would be happy to talk for hours, guys. But, you know, I'm imagining some of y'all want to go to lunch. Uh, last week when we talked about the government, we called, Peter said, you're called to obey the government. We said, yes, that's what he's teaching them. But we said, hey, there's some nuance there. And if we look at all of Scripture, there are times for civil disobedience. We talked about Daniel and Peter. In this same way, we say, okay, we're called to stay with respect. But if we look at all of Scripture, like places like 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is actually talking to servants there, and he too says, stay where you are, unless if you can gain your freedom, in which case, do it. All right, so there might be reasons. There could be times when it's appropriate for you to leave because of unjust, unfair leadership. That requires the the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and his leading and guiding. What we're trying to be clear about is just because it's unjust and unfair doesn't automatically mean you leave. Peter says there's a time and a place where most likely you need to be staying with respect. And then he gives a second commandment. He says, hey, um, stay with respect and endure with grace. Look at verse 19 and 20. This is a gracious thing when God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. You catch uh, Peter's logic, right? He said, hey, if you suffer because you did something dumb or something wrong, what's the point of that? Like, no one's going to give you credit or commend you for doing that. All right? Like, if you embezzle money from your company, like, you deserve to go to jail, right? Like, kids, if you cheat on a test, like, you, you deserve to go to the principal's office, right? Like, that, if you're speeding on 495, then in some mysterious way, you have found that time when there's no traffic on it. But... <laughs> But still, but still you deserve to be pulled over, right? Like Peter says, hey, let's be clear. There's nothing commendable. You don't shine as a witness in the world. You're not a disciple making a difference when you just get, you know, the consequences of your actions for doing something wrong. He says, you want to know what shines out to those around you? Um, when you're the flight attendant on the airline and you're... <laughs> those that you are serving and working for, the people on the plane, lose their absolute minds. Seems like that's happening every now and then, right? I read a story this week, uh, and uh, a gentleman observed this happening. A flight attendant kept her cool, and, uh, uh, you know, one of the other passengers was losing their mind. He stayed behind while the, the plane deplaned. And uh, he, he said, hey, can I have your name? Uh, I'd just like to contact the airline and say, hey, this, this flight attendant did a great job. And she said, oh, I don't work for this airline. I said, what do you mean you don't work for this airline? She says, I work for and serve my Savior, Jesus Christ. And that, that's what was guiding her behavior there. She was suffering, right, under, under this unjust, you know, person she was working for. And yet, she didn't uh, return evil for evil. That she was being a disciple that makes a difference. Um, so the reality are these unjust authorities in our lives. Um, our response to things, stay with respect, endure with grace. Uh, but how in the world do we do that? Let's look at the reason. Verse 21 uh, Peter says simply, to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 
Um, remember who's writing the letter. It's Peter. Remember what one of the first things Jesus said to Peter was, was follow me. All right. That's why I said at the beginning, these difficult instructions stand at the center of all Christian uh, ethics, the center of all of our Christian actions. It's because Christianity, being a Christian in discipleship, is about following Jesus. Middle schoolers, you're called to follow Jesus. Young adults, you're called to follow Jesus. Empty nesters, you're called to follow Jesus. He calls all of us to follow him. And can you imagine, like, as a servant in the ancient world trying to wrap your head around this? Because this is what Peter says. It's actually breathtaking if we think about it. Peter says, um, servant, I want you to know this. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, co-creator of all things, actually has been in the place where you have been. He understands what you are going through. He himself became a servant. He himself experienced unjust and unfair treatment. He was reviled. He was treated poorly, persecuted. He knows what that's like. And look how he responded. He didn't revile back. He didn't threaten. He didn't return evil for evil. So Peter says, let's follow his example because that's what the call of Christ is. But he doesn't stop there. All right, thankfully, he does not stop there with calling them to just follow his example. Right, you might have, uh, think, uh, examples are helpful, all right, but they're not enough. If you think back to the chaos of the Mantua Clubhouse last week, I said commands are helpful, but commands are not enough. Right? Commands show us where to go, uh, how we're called to live, what the standard is, but commands don't transform us and change us. Examples are helpful, um, but let me help, help you understand the insufficiency of examples. The year was 1987. I was 10 years old. I was watching the television, and on my screen was a gentleman named Michael Jordan. I saw Michael Jordan run down the basketball court leap from the free throw line and dunk the basketball, right? Up until that point in my life, I didn't know that was possible. All right, like I didn't know one could do that. But now I'd seen it. I had an example. That's how you do that. That's how you dunk from the free throw line. Is an example all that I need? Should we march out those doors and head up to the gym and let me show you what I can do, right? You know? I mean, there was a day... There was never a day um, that I could do that, right? There was never, never a day. Um, an example alone is insufficient, right? Um, we've seen Jesus live this way, but if we just think back this past week, this past month, we know Jesus' example is not enough. And thankfully, Peter reminds us that we have much more than an example in Jesus. Friends, if you thought Jesus came just to be an example about how to live your life, you have missed really what Jesus came for. Paul says, or Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. 
Jesus has taken our penalty for not living this way and he's given us his righteousness so we get credit for living that way and he lives in us now and that's our only hope for living this way. And again, remember who's writing this letter. It's Peter. It's Peter who was the one that rebuked Jesus. When Jesus talked about having to suffer, Peter rebuked him and spoke ill to him, right? It's, Jesus who den- it's Peter who denied Jesus. In, in the last hours of his life, Peter was the one who denied him three times. Peter's the one when everyone was shouting, crucify him, we have no recording of Peter making any kind of objection, right? Um, so Peter knows that when he's talking about the death of Christ and why Christ had to die, it was for him. Peter was the reviler Peter was the, the, the persecutor. Peter was the one that stayed silent. Peter was the one that spoke harshly to Christ. Peter, Peter knew Christ had to die for him. And, and so that's why he understands and can speak with conviction of, hey, we are called to live this way. And the only way we're going to forgive is when we see how much we're forgiven. The only way we're not going to revile back, that we're not going to gossip about our boss, that we're not going to join in is because we realize actually... Um, there was one who died for me because of that and he loves me and he's called me to live differently. That's our only hope for living differently is seeing all that Christ has done. There's a song we sing sometimes, one of my favorite hymns, and it says, Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. And friends, if we fail to wrestle with the fact that we were the revilers, that we are the, um, the persecutors, that we are the reason that Jesus had to die, then we're not going to be able to live this way. Because when we realize that, we see how much grace and forgiveness we've gotten, and then we can extend it to others. That's why I say it's humanly impossible to live this way. But then Peter ends with these words for the servants and for us. That even though we've wondered like sheep, that we have a shepherd and overseer of our soul. I think it's helpful to say this. There are some here this morning, and like bad bosses are the absolute furthest thing from your mind. Right? You've got a child's sickness that you're worried about. You've got a cancer diagnosis. You've got battles with addiction. You've got broken relationships. And Peter reminds those servants, and he reminds us that we have a shepherd and an overseer. We have someone who loves us. We have a good shepherd that even though we've wondered, he's come after us and drawn us back, and he cares for us. He sees you. Whatever the root of your darkness is, the cause of your darkness in this season, you are not alone You are not forgotten. Your shepherd sees you and and cares for you. Let's pray. Father, I pray you'd help myself and my friends here to see that you do see us and care for us. In our workplaces where we spend, honestly, most of our lives, You see and care for us there, and you want us to be a witness and a light there, and we can't do it apart from Christ. 
We are sojourners and exiles. Help us to remember that and live like that, but also help us to remember that's for a season because we are headed home. You are calling us home and we will make our way home because of Christ, because he will lead us there. Even as we come to this table in this sacramental meal, help us to see the love of our shepherd. In Jesus' name. Amen.